So how are you feeling today? Are you a little overwhelmed yourself? Maybe? Uh, today we are going to take a look at a uh, sermon. The, sermon. the title of the sermon is actually called A Question of Exchange. That might seem like a big, weird-sounding, fancy title, but think about it this way. Uh, does that word exchange mean anything to you? What do you exchange? Money. If you've been traveling in a foreign country... You may have exchanged your American dollars for something else, and then you come back, you swap them, you know. You might exchange treats. Um, you might exchange clothes, you know. If some of you are like my wife, you go to the store and you're in a hurry because you've got a bunch of kids, and you're like, you don't have time to try things on, and so you come home and try them on, and then realize, oh, I don't like the way this fits. Does this make my butt look big? You know, stuff like that. <laughs> And so you uh, will take them back and exchange them for a different size or something different. Uh, But today we're talking about exchanging lifestyles. In other words, what God is offering versus what we think is good. And typically when we talk about exchanging, we're talking about exchanging something we think is good for something according to God's principles are better. It's best. Why don't you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word today. We ask that you would open our hearts and minds to what you would speak to us today. And Lord, I just pray that you would help me get out of the way and that your spirit would move in a, in a very real and a very powerful way and that um, when we gather here this morning that you are exalted. Father, help us to keep our focus on you and to see these things that you're speaking to us and help us to know exactly where it is that we might need to make some changes and help us then not to leave it here, Lord, but to do something with it. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for what we learn when we delve into it, when we, when we uh, take a deep look and see how you speak to us. And Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray it all. Amen. Well, this morning was a first for me because um, Lisa and I have been married for a little over a year now, and, and I don't think I've ever actually gotten up and gotten kids ready for church by myself. <laughs> but with Lisa being gone... Now, that was this weekend. Now, somebody must have been praying really hard because it was POC, piece of cake, this morning. Now, next Sunday may not be that case, but, uh, but it was kind of get up, flip the lights on, everybody get up. This is what you got to do. And fortunately, with the boys, the three younger ones, they didn't have to. I think only one of them had to actually change their clothes. When they, I said, does this look okay for church? No, go back and put this on. So... And then, then when you go back, and I don't have any pants. Okay, fine, just wear those, whatever. So it, it, was, it was really a piece of cake this morning. So, uh, again, thank you for whoever was really praying for that this morning uh, because I am smart enough man to realize that it does not happen that way every week. So everybody got at least some cereal in them, uh, except for Lila, who's doing gluten-free, but she had her banana. It was all good. Uh, but uh, So everybody got a little something to eat so they won't be starving. Although it was funny when we pulled up because, understand, We've been here twice before, right? And so each time that we were here before, there was food. And it's the four-year-old Lucas who he is, he's always thinking about food. So we pull up and he said, are we going to eat here today? <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> so, I know, so I said, no, I'm sorry. I said, that makes sense. But no, we're not eating here today because we did have food every other time we were here. <laughs> so that's not a hint, although maybe it is. I'm not sure. Maybe that was a subconscious hint. I understand we like to eat here a lot, which is, suits me just fine. Our focal passage today will come from 1 John chapter 2, 
We'll pick it up with verse 15 here in just a moment. Does anybody recognize the name Christopher Marlowe? Okay, I don't see any hands, so I'm guessing that means you don't. But Christopher Marlowe was a late 16th century playwright. He was actually a, a contemporary of William Shakespeare. And one of Mar- he, he wrote several things, but one of his most famous plays that he wrote uh, was based on a legend of sorts called Dr. Faustus. Now, Dr. Faustus was a doctor of theology. He was a very learned man and, and sought to learn everything that he could. But what happened was in his quest for knowledge, he began to dabble in the occult. And so his heart is generally consumed by the, by the love of earthly learning and the fame and the fortune that earthly things would bring. So what happens in the play, the, the devil comes to Faustus, a uh, name that we often see the devil is associated with the devil in, in ancient history, in ancient literature, and that is Mephistopheles. You ever heard that name before? Mephistopheles. Anyway, Mephistopheles, the devil, comes to Faustus. He says, sell your soul to me for eternity, and I will give you all of your earthly desires. This, this has been a classic theme throughout literature and, and movies throughout the ages. I remember uh, loving, loving music. There was a movie called Crossroads with Ralph Macchio, the karate kid. He actually had some other roles, in case you didn't know. And that was the idea of uh, you know, selling your soul to the devil to be an amazing blues guitar player. And actually, uh, there is a legend that Robert Johnson, if you know anything about music history, did just that. Um, but this legend, this type of idea, has we've seen it through all throughout literature and out throughout history, uh, this idea of selling your soul to the devil in exchange for something great, earthly desires. Well, Faustus, of course, because he, his love for the world was so strong, uh, that he accepted the offer and he signed away his soul. And so Faustus, his, his, his greedy heart is then crammed with knowledge and wealth and women and fame are his for the taking. He gets everything he ever wanted and everything he ever imagined. But guess what? Faustus was still mortal and his time ran out. And so when his time runs out, the devil comes to collect. And then Faustus realizes that he made a fool's bargain. And he'd exchanged eternal pleasures for fleeting ones, but it was too late. So this myth of Faustus, this idea, this story of selling your soul to the devil, uh, it's kind of a description of the modern world and really of modern humanity. You see, it's about giving up the pleasures of God in exchange for the pleasures of the world. You see, that's really become a modern preoccupation. And the thing about it is, the sad thing about it is, is Christians are not immune. People who claim the name of Christ can fall into this same trap. You see, I think for Christians, often God is sought because we understand something of who God is. And so we seek God, but not as an end in himself, meaning finding the pleasure in God, but rather as a way to achieve secular ends. Some of you may have seen these goobers on TV proclaiming the health and wealth gospel. You know, just so you know, that's not scriptural. This idea that just send your $5,000 seed today and God will bless you immeasurably, you know, that's not scriptural. Now, what is scriptural is that God will bless us. He didn't say he would bless us monetarily. And what we need to understand is that many times when the scripture speaks of those kinds of blessings, it has nothing to do with money. I mean, let's face it, 
This world is God's and God can do as God chooses and pretty much all of it belongs to him anyway, right? So the blessings are about serving, but the thing is we've got to get past our material greed and, and, and our material wants and, and our really our material worldview for we, before we can really understand or fully appreciate that. So the health and wealth gospel, that's not what the gospel is about. You know, some people may uh, be, be pleading with God, you know, just to maybe it's it's uh, when things are going bad. Maybe a marriage is in difficulty or maybe there's something going on at the job and, and people will you know, they'll forget about God until they begin to seek him because things are going bad. Or, or maybe it's, you know, to they're going to pray because we need the right job or we need that thing. But what happens is that is that the way that we view God in this mindset means that God becomes kind of our, our magic genie, you know, our genie in a bottle. You guys have seen Aladdin, right, or at least have read the story. You know, what happens, you, you find the magic lamp and you rub the lamp and, and the genie comes out and, and guess what? The genie says, hey, I'm going to give you three wishes. And sometimes we treat God like that, like the, if we just rub the magic lamp and God shows up, he'll just give us what we want, right? Or that mindset of, <clears throat> we kind of forget about him until things go wrong. And there's like, God, if you, and then we try to bargain with him, right? Any of us ever done that? You don't have to raise your hand on that. Uh, we kind of bargain with God, right? God, if you'll just do this for me. And the thing about it is that sometimes those bargains have nothing to do with our own spiritual growth. It has nothing to do with our relationship with God. It has more to do with our earthly wants. Oh, I saw this car. I got to have that car because that car will make me. That car will, will elevate my status. People will see me in that car and they'll go, man, that car is you. That is, that is just an amazing vehicle for you. you. You are so cool. And we think we need that car and so we just pray, God... God, I'm going in to see them, and, and if, if, if you'll just let my credit score be good enough. <laughs> just let my credit score be good enough, and I can sign the papers, and I can drive away with that car, and my life will change for the better. God, if you just let this happen, I promise you I will not miss a Sunday for at least the rest of the year. <laughs> we begin to bargain, you know? We begin to bargain with God and say, you know, God, if just this. That's not how God operates. Because quite frankly, I think God doesn't give two flips about what car you're driving. You know? It's not about status. It's not about what you look like. It's about who you are in Him. You see, that's what He wants. He loves you so much. He wants you to be able to recognize how important that relationship with Him is because when you find your identity in Jesus Christ, when you find your identity in your relationship with the Heavenly Father, then you found it. You see, when your identity is tied up in what you wear and what you drive and where you live, then you've got it backwards. You see, we need to learn to exchange what seems good for the better. And the better is a relationship with Jesus Christ. The better is a relationship with the Heavenly Father. You see, everything has a cost. What are you willing to give up? Let's take a look at this passage from 1 John chapter 2, picking up with, uh, with verse 5, or excuse me, with verse 15. And it says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. You see a problem like that with most of our culture today? Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, get this, 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all this, or all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye and pride and possessions, you see, that's not from the Father, but that's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. kind of sound like the culture that we live in. And I see the thing about it is, is that we might think, oh, well, that's a new thing. Now, this is the kind of thing that's been going on pretty much since the dawn of man. God has always been there, but man has always sought what man wants. They've always sought some earthly desires. The first thing I want to talk about this morning is exchanging death for life. Well, I'm alive. I'm here. I'm sitting here, right? Some of you at least look mostly alive. So that's a good thing. But let me tell you, this, what I'm talking about here is really about spiritual death. And so it can get a little bit confusing, but bear with me. Is your focus living for the world? If so, then you're dead to Christ. That's what this passage means. You see, so to live for Christ, then is to be dead to the world. But to receive life in Christ, that means you've got to die to the world. So to live, you must die. Y'all follow me? clear as mud, right? So it's about living for Christ and putting to death those earthly desires. In other words, the things that are of this earth should be less desirable than the things for God. Now, I'm not saying that you can't enjoy some earthly things. The problem is when you get too tied up in them, that they become your focus. When you become so tied up in the things of the world that you forget about how you got the things of the world to begin with, right? Because everything we have is allowed by God. Years ago, I was pastoring a church in Columbus, Indiana. And one of the things that I had desired was a Gibson Les Paul Studio in pewter silver. Now, for you non-musicians, that may mean absolutely nothing to you. But it's a really cool guitar, okay? And so I'd saved up some money. I'd gotten some money for Christmas. And uh, I bought this guitar. I got it used because I saved some money that way. But anyway, I, I found this great guitar. I bought it, and I was so excited to be able to, to bring it out and, and play in the praise band with this new Les Paul. And so my very first... Sunday with it on stage, you know, I had my guitar stand sitting over there, and we'd play, because I was preaching too, you know, so I would play and then preach, and so I played, and I was just like beaming, like, check out my new guitar, woohoo, can you hear me, am I loud enough, am I loud enough out there, you know, so I was so excited, such a great thing, and, and I don't know that I was really thinking a whole lot about the sermon that day, because I wanted people to know this, I had this new cool guitar, now, again, I know for those who were non-musicians, they probably could have cared less, okay? It's a guitar, big deal. But, so when I got finished, I took it off, and I went over there, and I set it in that guitar stand, and I walked back across the platform, and I hear, I turned around and looked, and I realized that my uh, guitar stand had been moved, and there were these mic boxes in the floor that had flip-up lids, and there was a little gap, and one of the legs on the guitar was on that guitar stand was sitting in that gap. And when I put my guitar in it, the, the stand shifted, and that guitar went right there. Les Pauls have notoriously weak headstocks. That's the top part. Matter of fact, 
this little piece like right up in here for a Les Pauls, which looks like that. That's a Les Paul design, by the way, just so you know. Uh, uh, notoriously weak. So that brand new guitar that I was so proud of, the headstock split. I was devastated. And now I had to preach a sermon. I didn't use it as an illustration that day because I was still <laughs> weeping inside. But he gave me some good illustration for later on. Now, the thing is, is that I was able to take that to a local luthier. That's someone who works on guitars, and he fixed it and, and made it probably stronger than it was to begin with uh, because of the glue that he used and all that stuff, put it back together. But every time I play that guitar, I can look down at the back of the neck. You can't see it from the front, but on the back of that neck and the headstock come together, I can see this little seam, this little crack, and I'm reminded it's just a guitar. You see... I wanted that guitar so badly that I lost focus. Now, did I really need it? Could I have done without it? Yes. There's something I wanted. And the problem was, is for me, sitting up there in worship, I wanted the focus to be on me. That was wrong thinking. You see? Because regardless, and I'm so appreciative of our musicians up here who have been leading. Awesome job, you guys, for a year. And, you know, they've done a great job, and... I'm anxious to join them next week. Uh, But, eh. (laughs) thank you, Jesus. Yes. Um, But but anyway, uh, you did a great job. But, you know, they're not up here so you'll look and say, man, I loved how she hit that high note. Or, or, man, that guitar tone was awesome. Or, I loved that bass line. That was just so cool how you walked that down to the fourth and the fifth and back. Never mind. Uh, But anyway... Uh, you know, so, but that's not why they're up here. They're up here because they're serving, because they love Jesus and they want to help you and lead you into worship because worship is that place where our hearts reach out and touch the heart of God because that's what's important. You see, it's so easy to get caught up. And so, your pastor, I'm no different than you are. It's easy to get caught up in things of the world. But everything has a cost. And we've got to learn to put Jesus Christ first. If we're going to exchange death for life, you know, from verse 15, it says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Does that statement, does it seem harsh to you? But what John's trying to say here is, look, if everything you love is about the world, then you have no love, not true love for the Father. You're just giving it lip service. You're just saying, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'll follow Christ. Do you really? Do you really? Do you follow Christ or do you follow the things of the world? You see, giving up pleasures of God in exchange for the pleasures of the world, it's a hard place to be. It's a very hard place to be. Is anybody familiar with the movie or movies in the Star Wars saga? Why are you laughing? Is that like... They're like, I don't know. I've been hiding on a rock for the last 40 years. I don't, I don't have any idea. Star Wars saga. Anybody know about it, right? Okay. There's some things from that movie, especially if you watch Star Wars 1 to 4 and on through to the last one. And it's like, what? That, did that make sense? I don't know. Because they start, wait, they started with the fourth one? And then they went back a thousand years later and made the first? What? What's going on? You know, so it can get really confusing. But Anyway, if you're not a Star Wars kind of guy like I am, uh, I'm not going to explain it to you, so don't worry about it. Uh, But in case you were thinking, gee, I was going to watch Star Wars later this afternoon, here's a spoiler alert, okay? 
So if you want, don't want to know how some of this stuff turns out, you'll have to turn your ears off just for a second. Now, in Star Wars, we're introduced to a character early on. By, uh, actually, you have to go to the prequels, the first three, to be truly introduced to the character Anakin Skywalker. He starts off as a little boy, and then we see he's growing up. He's turning into this Jedi. So there's, there's Anakin right there. Anakin Skywalker. He, he was what the, the Jedi Knights believed was going to be the chosen one. He was going to turn everything in favor of, of you know, the Republic and all the good in the universe, in the galaxy. But what happened was Anakin then turned his back on the greater good of the Force. If you don't know about the Force, ask me later. And, and the way the Jedi Knights, and he began to focus on himself. He began to focus on what he wanted and his power and what he could do. Because he believed that he could become so powerful that he could save people from dying. And he could shape the galaxy to conform to the way that he thought. And if they didn't conform to the way he thought, then he would make them. That was his grand plan. And so Anakin then, being brought up in the ways of the force and the good force, the, 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 dark, the light side, turned to the dark side. And when he turned to the dark side, he became Darth Vader. Darth Vader served self. He served the empire, which is about serving the evil emperor. Um, and so we're actually introduced to Darth Vader very early in the fourth one, which was really the first one, and it gets confusing. Don't worry about it. But the thing about Darth Vader was, in the end, again, if you follow that through and you get to the sixth movie, what you find is that Darth Vader found redemption because he eventually turned his focus back to the good of others, namely through his son, who turned out to be Luke Skywalker. Remember, I said, spoiler alert. And he exchanged the good of all for the good of self. But then he found redemption and returned to the good of all. Luke Skywalker told his mentor, there's good in him, I felt it. No one believed it, because we're talking about Darth Vader here, the most evil figure in all of the galaxy. But in the end, Luke was right. You see, we as Christians are sinful. We have a sinful nature within us. Anybody deny that? Anybody think differently? We are sinful by nature. But the thing is, is that God desires to save us. He knows that good is there. He knows that good is in us, even when we've turned to sinful ways. But God, through his desire to save us, provided some ways to do that. If we go back to the Old Testament, what we find is that uh, first, God gave us the law, right? What was the problem with the law? <laughs> well, it was impossible to keep. There were so many laws and so many things that people needed to do. And what happened is that over time, the law became perverted by man. It was twisted and reshaped to meet the needs of man. And then by the time you get to the Pharisees, they protect the law so much that they kind of built a law around the law, a wall around. So if we don't, if we don't break this wall, then we don't have to worry about breaking the original law, God's law. So they created a lot of man's, uh, man created a lot of their own laws around that. So what did God do? Well, like most of us, when we want a job done right, we do it ourselves, right? And that's what God did. God came down himself and to get the job done right. Jesus came so that we might know salvation. John ten eleven, it says this, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, God does what we cannot do ourselves. 
Let me tell you something. Anybody spent any time on a farm around sheep? Anybody? Somebody said yes. All right. So if you, has anybody been to the fair and seen some sheep? Okay. There we go. All right. I want to give you a chance to participate, you know. Well, let me tell you something about sheep. Being called sheep is not a compliment. Oh, but they're so cute and fuzzy. It is not a compliment. Why? Because sheep are some of the dumbest animals. Yes, it's true. I'm sorry. But if you take a flock of sheep and one of them goes over the cliff, guess what happens? The rest of them will follow suit. Sheep are not smart animals. That's why sheep need a shepherd. They need a leader. They need someone who's out there pointing them in the right direction and getting them in the right place. Sheep need a shepherd. We are sheep. We need that shepherd. We need someone who points us in the right direction. You see, God does what we cannot do ourselves. He provided the shepherd. And what does the shepherd provide? Well, the shepherd, first of all, brings us grace. You know, one of the amazing things about grace, it's offered freely, right? How much does grace cost? It's offered freely. It doesn't cost us. We don't have to pay for it. God offers that grace. Now, how we accept it, it's a whole different, different ball game there. But he offers us grace. He offers us mercy because God loves us so much that he wants to be able to forgive us when we go astray, when we put our focus in the wrong place, when we live that sinful lifestyle, when, when we get caught up in the sinfulness of the world. And even though we are not worthy, God sent his son Jesus to die and take our place. And so that when we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, when we know him personally, what happens when God looks at us? He doesn't see us. He sees Jesus. And he makes us worthy. Our worthiness comes through Jesus Christ. Not anything that we've done except simply accepting Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. Again, it's exchanging death for life. And it's only through Jesus accepting him, making him Lord of our life, do we find that life. You know, it's not a decision that ends either. Because when we receive Jesus, we are sanctified. We're set apart. We exchange worldly ways for godly ones. The next point is this. We need to learn to exchange delight of the world for delight in God. Can we truly say that we are delighted to be sons and daughters of the Almighty God? Sometimes we don't live that way. Anybody know the story of Samson and Delilah? Samson, you probably remember some of this from maybe Sunday school or Bible school, or at least you've read it somewhere along the line, but Samson was chosen. He was a Nazarite. There was something special about Samson. What was it? Anybody? Hello. He, his hair, and that's all Nazarites. They were, they were forbidden from cutting their hair. So they let their hair grow long. And what happened when Samson's hair grew long? What was the thing about Samson that we remember? What? He was strength unparalleled. No other man had the kind of strength that Samson had. And Samson, throughout the book of Judges, um, Judges 16, we see Samson's uh, his, uh, journey chronicled there for us. 
And what was the thing about Samson? He had this great power from God, but what was the thing about Samson? Samson really never did give up the delight of God, I mean, give up the light of the world for the light of God. You see, because let's face it, Samson, well, he liked his women. He liked his women a little too much. He liked his wine a little too much. And it got him in trouble on more than one occasion. Well, he comes to Delilah. And I don't know about you, and, and obviously we don't have pictures from the Old Testament, but she must have been something. Because he was captivated by her. He was captivated by her beauty and her smooth tongue. She must have fed him every line and told him everything that was music to his ears. Because you know how the story goes. Delilah knew, and, and she was the enemy. He was, he was flirting with the enemy, literally. And, and what, what will happen in that story? Delilah says, Samson, if you love me, you'll tell me. What is the, what's the key to your strength? So he tells her something. She does it to him while he's asleep. Guards come in. Guess what? He lied. And yet he still stayed with her. And guess what? Not only did he stay with her, but she does it again. Samson, you weren't honest with me. You know, I asked you about your weakness and your strength and where it comes from, and you told me something, and that wasn't it. Tell me. Be honest. You know, I mean, how many times does it take? Do we see a pattern developing here? Well, what? So he's like, oh, okay. He gives in. Same thing. Same thing happens. She does what he says. Guards come in. Boom. He lied. <sighs> yeah, imagine that. Or women being conniving. Oh. <laughs> Just saying. It's in the Bible, right? <laughs> so then, finally, she nags him. and na- oh, That's not in the Bible. I'm adding that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> she wears him down, though. Why? Because she asks him. And then the third time, finally, he says, it's in my hair. If you cut my hair, I'll have the strength of a normal man. This time, he wasn't lying. This time, we know the rest of the story. And because he was so caught up in the delight of this worldly woman... Again, she must have been some beauty. Samson loses his strength. It ended up costing him his life, physically, literally. Of course, we know the story. He made that bargain with God one more time. God, if you just one more time. And, of course, he destroys his enemies by bringing the temple down on their heads. Um, But still cost him his life in the process. I think there's a lot of things that we learn from this. Samson was supposed to be a godly man. He was supposed to be one of the leaders. He was given this wonderful power, but he abused it because he was caught up in the delight of the world rather than the delight of God. So what does it truly mean to delight in God? Christian author and church leader John Piper came up with the term Christian hedonist. A hedonist someone who lives for pleasure. But a Christian hedonist is someone who lives for the pleasure of God. So the chief end of someone who delights in God should be to glorify Him by enjoying Him forever. You know this world is temporary, right? I don't care if you live to be 110. That may be a long time on this earth, but the reality is it's just a 
grain of sand on the beaches of the world compared to eternity. Think about that. It's easy to lose sight of that. It's easy to get caught up in the here and the now and what we like, what we like and we want right now. And instead of preparing for eternity, I mean, think about it, you know. We live in an immediate fulfillment culture. When we order something from Amazon and it doesn't show up yesterday, we get mad about it. We go through the drive through and it takes longer than two minutes to get our food. We get upset. We boot up the computer. We dial it up, right? Remember the dial up? Nowadays, it's boom, it's right there. And when something takes a few extra seconds to load, we get upset. You know, we want this instant fulfillment. We want it right now. And because of that, I think that plays into this idea that we want it and we want it now. You see those commercials on TV. I want my money. It's my money and I want it now. We don't think about the long term. We don't think about eternity. You see, the thing about it is it's not about us. You know, it's not about the now. It's about the focusing on the long term, focusing on eternity. So you see, there should be no question of exchange for us. We should live so that people know it and that God takes first place in our lives. And so you know, the question today is, is that where you are? are? Are there questionable practices in your life? Are there things in the way that you live your life that if someone from the outside sees you and sees you doing that or that whatever that practice might be, they'd go, wait thought they were a Christian. It's easy to get caught up that way. Remember a few weeks ago, I talked about being a sold-out believer. Are you living like that sold-out believer that wears witness, bears witness to God's love? You see, the Bible is clear that our faith will be witness to the world. But unfortunately, we've got a lot of people and a lot of churches out there that are pretty much just saved for Sunday. You know what I mean by that? Saved for Sunday. I'm going to come to church and I'm going to put on my church face and I'm going to go and I'm going to smile and I'm going to have my coffee and my donut and, I, and we're going to have a grand old time getting together with the people of God, right? And then Monday comes and you're back to work and you're by the water cooler and you're spreading gossip and you're talking about your friend over there in ways that you shouldn't be talking about them and then you're saying things that you shouldn't be saying <clears throat> and then you're, then you're getting mad and cussing people out on the way home because you just don't like that traffic or the way that they drive and they need to go back to traffic school. It's about integrity. Do we have a Christian integrity? Do we have a godly integrity? Are we the same 24-7, are we the same Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every days that end in Y? Are we the same every one of those days? And not just for Sunday. Are you saved for Sunday? If so, then you're, you're living a facade. You're living a lie. God's called us for so much more. And if we learn to dis- exchange delights of the world for delights of God, then we know. We know what that means. And what about exchanging serving self for serving the Lord? We are a self-serving culture. We live in a culture that's all about me. And all you got to do is take a quick look at someone's social media to figure out. It's all about me. We like it. You know? We like to get all those likes. Makes us feel good. Makes us feel good about ourselves. Even though we just posted a picture of our supper, somebody thought that looks tasty. <laughs> Makes us feel good, right? We are a self-serving culture, and social media doesn't help that. 
But the problem with being self-serving is that we become very short-sighted, that we only see our life as now instead of looking at this life as one that leads to the next. You ever heard the statement, you can be so earthly-minded you're no heavenly good? You see, we, we need to think, as Christians, we need to think, here's where we are, what we can do now to set things up for the future, right? You see, God is calling us into this eternal relationship with Him. So serving Him now is about preparing us for an entry into His presence. Don't you want to stand before God one day, have Him look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Do we all long for that? Do you truly long for that? You see, if we're learning to exchange the good for the better, and then we're learning, and we're, we know that we, have that, that we will have that opportunity one day to stand before him and have him say, my good and faithful servant. It's not about us as much as we might often want to make it about us. That means we need to look for opportunities to serve. And right here through the church, there are many, many ways to serve. You know, when, before we got started, I talked about everybody getting plugged in. It'd be, it's awesome when we can look around and say, wow, we've got all these folks coming, but look how many people are not just showing up on Sunday, but they're getting plugged into a ministry. You know, and that ministry may be something uh, physical, or it may be a prayer ministry. There are all kinds of ways. You know, if you're musical, you'd help out the worship team. Uh, this meeting that Amanda's holding afterwards, it's a great opportunity to help with children's church or the nursery. And maybe you think that's not your cup of tea. But what is God calling you to? And maybe it's not, and that's okay. Um, we've got technology. There's folks that put together uh, you know, stuff for, that we see on Sunday mornings. Uh, we've, we've got all kinds of ways you can get involved technologically, if that's your thing. You can help with outreach events. Again, next Sunday, we've got an event going on. And everyone that shows up, you know, we can show up and eat and have a good time, but at the same time, it's an opportunity to reach out into the community and share the good news of Jesus Christ. It's an opportunity to love on some of our neighbors right here in the community. That's a great way to serve. And the list goes on and on and on. You know, life may be good. Our life may be good. If things are good with our family, things are good with our job, maybe the house is nice, the home, we're finally getting in shape like we want it, you know. But serving God makes it all the better. Because our job is done for Him. Our family should be dedicated to Him. Our home should be a blessing from Him. So you see, it's not about that all of those things are terrible and horrible, but it's simply about exchanging something good for something better. And not getting so wrapped up in the things of the earth that we forget where it all came from in the first place. God will bless you immensely and immeasurably in ways you can't even begin to have imagined. And here's the really cool thing. You know, Joetta mentioned, you know, you've been in that place where, where God shows up and you're like, wow. You know, that M&M's commercial, wow, oh, wow, he is real. Yeah. When we seek to give up something good for something better, that's the kind of experience that we can have all the time. Because God is and He loves you, and He wants to be actively involved in your life. Isn't that an amazing thing? We're talking about the creator of the universe. You ever really stop and think about how vast this universe is? And yet, God created it all, and yet He, one of over 7 billion people that inhabit the planet right now, and God loves you. 
right where you are, and he loves you too much to leave you there. He wants to bless you. He wants to, to give you the delights of him. But that doesn't happen until we learn to begin to see things through the eyes of God. Learn how to truly love others. Learn what we get from serving. God's got great plans for us. I believe God has great plans for this church. Making a difference in the lives of those who are attending and by doing so, making a difference right here in this community that people can see the love of God. And doesn't the world need to see the love of God? Even as, as things continue to fall apart in the world around us, don't people need to see that we are authentic, that we live our faith, and we live in such a way as to delight God, to live in the delights of Him. And that's what becomes more important. Why don't you pray with me? Lord, I pray this morning as our hearts and minds have been turned to you in this reminder of what it means to live in such a way that you get the glory for everything. Lord, we know that you bless us and that we know that, that, that you love us and that you want us to in, enjoy life. But Lord, we, we know that, that our main enjoyment needs to come from serving you, from delighting in who you are. So Lord, I pray this morning that we not leave this message here, but that we do something with it, that we take it out. Uh, and, and that we put this, put our faith into practice. We truly live for you, that we truly exchange worldly ways for godly ways, and we truly live in such a way that others see Jesus in us. Lord, we know that we can make a difference, but we give you the glory and the honor for it. We just pray your spirit would move among us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for being here this morning. I uh, just want to say that if, if you are, well, that's okay, go ahead. God is good. God is good. And, you know, thank you for being here. If, if you would like, if you, there's something that's bothering you, you've got something on your mind, if there's some decision in your life that you'd like to make, maybe God has impressed you that, you know, it's time to get it together. It's time to get your act together and, and, and rededicate your life to serving him. If, if you need to do that, if you want to do that, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you can't fully know about the delights of God because you've not accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, come and talk to me. I would love to talk to you more about how to do that and what that looks like. Um, or if you just want to just say, you know what? I'm tired of sitting on the sidelines. It's time to get in the game. It's time to serve. Help me. Help me. Point me in the right direction. I'd be happy to talk to you. Any of, the, any of our church leaders around here would love to talk to you about such things. So I hope that you have a great afternoon. Whatever you do on your Sunday afternoons, watch some football, eat, nap. That's always a good one. Make sure you get those in the right order. <laughs> um, but I uh, hope that you have a great day. Don't forget about the meeting this afternoon and then next Sunday, uh, our uh, fall fest. I hope that, I'd love to see you all come back for that next week. Have a wonderful day.